0: Everybody is I. You all know you are you. And wheresoever beings exist throughout all galaxies, it doesn't make any difference. You are all of them. And when they come into being, that's you coming into
1: being. Hi guys and all the podcast listeners. My name's Kirsty. I'm currently living in London, working in Admin i'm currently originally from durham so it's really cool listening to two local voices while i'm down here in the big city i normally get the tube into work um on a morning so that's when i listen to the podcasts um it's so funny how you guys have talked so many times on the podcast about people watching and the introspection you get you can get from it and there's been many a times where you've said that and at the same time i've been doing the exact same thing peace guys hey what is up everyone Hope you are all doing well, wherever you are in the world. And thank you so much to Kirsty for that message. And people watching is such an interesting and thought-provoking practice. And it's even more thought-provoking when you're on the Tube in London. Me and Chris have regularly been on the Tube in London when we've been recording podcasts in that area over the last few months. And there is some really interesting people on the Tube that you do get to see. So it makes it even more interesting for people watching and please keep sending in these messages. It really is cool to hear more about you. And anyway, this week on the podcast, we're joined by Tristan Gooley. He is the only living person who've both flown solo and sailed single-handedly across the Atlantic. He's led many expeditions in five continents. He's climbed mountains in Europe, Africa, Asia. He's also sailed boats across many different oceans. He's piloted small aircrafts to Africa and the Arctic. He's even walked and studied the different methods of some of the last remaining remotest tribes on the planet. He's also an author and natural navigator. And some of the books that he's wrote are The Natural Navigator, Wild Signs and Star Paths, How to Read Water, The Walker's Guide to Outdoor Clues and Signs, such an interesting guy, and this was such a cool conversation. We covered so many different areas with this one. We recorded this one in the woods near Tristan's house. So the natural and ambient sound of the birds, the wind, and the animals make this one even more better. And if you can please consider supporting the podcast via our Patreon page or our one-off donation option, it would really be cool. And these can also be found on our website and the link to, to support the podcast is also in the description of the podcast app that you're listening to this thing on. As you know, we're not in the business of selling out and running stupid ads on here. But all we ask of you is if you can help us out, support the podcast if you can, help with the podcast running costs and if you want to help us keep this thing going All we ask of you is just consider supporting us. And if you can, please tell a friend about the podcast. This really helps. So anyway, enjoy this podcast, Sitting in the Woods with Tristan. Peace. Anyway, uh, thank you, Tristan, so much for doing this as well and inviting us to, I'm going to call this your home, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your beautiful home, but when I was actually, like I said earlier to you, I've, I read uh, two of your books and I also obviously listened to a lot of your interviews and stuff that you have done before and actually when I was doing some research, I come across and realised that you were actually, was it you solo sailed across the Atlantic Ocean?
0: Yeah, 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 I flew solo and then sailed single-handedly. Yeah, that's yeah. fascinating, how was that experience? Uh, it was it was interesting, uh, but it was a massive, um, you know, logistical training preparation, financial, all of those things. So it was, it was satisfying. The journeys were satisfying, but in a very strange way, um, the, the the planning to make it happen was was in a weird way became bigger than the the thing itself, um, and it, it was a very formative experience for me in the sense that I learnt over the seven years it took to do it whilst working. Um, uh, full-time i i learned that actually the the scale of the journey and the the edginess in a physical sense i you know at times you know uh risking risking my life wasn't quite as interesting as some of the smaller stuff i'd done earlier in my life and that that did completely change my it didn't it didn't change my love of navigation but it it it, it confirmed me on a different different path forgive the pun <laughs> yeah yeah how did you
2: oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say what was the um the thought process of leading up you thinking yeah this is definitely something I need to do this is something I need to engage in was it like you're like um, your primal instinct to achieve your goal or so? Yeah?
0: yeah I mean I'm 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 lucky things have gone um you know quite quite well touch wood and it's allowed me to be a little bit more honest about that experience than I would have been you know at the time but I think with a little bit of perspective now i can see what happened which was that i had a genuine love of journeys and shaping them and navigation but it got sort of supercharged by quite a common experience that that you know um, young adults have which is a feeling of i'm you know very bad at a lot of things and i'm okay at one or two things but i want to be really good at one thing Uh, and navigation was the only thing that held my interest from a young age from about the age of 10 and so you put all of that together and it ends up with this slightly you know, with <laughs> with hindsight, this slightly crazy sort of feeling of yeah. I need to do something extraordinary. Now I can look back and go, I didn't need to do something extraordinary, I just needed to sort of, you know, have have sort of, you know, belief in myself without doing something extraordinary. But but I think a lot of people follow that that trajectory of thinking, I won't believe that that I can do what I believe I can do unless I do something, you know, unbelievable. Now that sounds weird, but that's yeah, that's sort I'll of what happened. On
1: that how did you actually mentally 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 sort of prepare for that though cuz that's a big feat to take on
0: um it's the 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 nice thing was early on there are the structure to to the learning so uh i i see this in lots of people now uh the you, you're very lucky if if you feel your calling has has structure to the learning some things don't so for example you want to be a doctor there's, there's kind of seven years to kind of get you going where you don't have to give a lot of thought about what the next step is now for me the early parts the things like the basic flying and sailing skills that for me was really relaxing and fun you know i'd i'd finish working on a friday and spend the weekend yeah. doing you know in the early days something like a day skipper course and i'd by friday on friday night i didn't really know what i was doing on monday morning i was no expert but i knew a bit more and that's that's relaxing and easy so that takes you to a certain point and then it, it changes radically and I I've, I've spoken to so many people about this when you you realize that actually you know going to be a lot of navigation metaphors come in here but that that's <laughs> part of my philosophy is navigation is is life you know when the map that very clear map you know is no longer there you've effectively reached the edge of it and you're saying I'm going to do something other people haven't done now or or you know it's rarely been done and I um and then then the fear comes in and you've you you know you question yourself every day is this is it doable? Is it sensible? Is it, you know, is it financially, you know, the right thing to do? Is it philosophically the right thing to do? Um, and, and it's quite easy to find reasons not to do it, that's for sure. Yeah.
1: What, what does it feel like, though? Because in that sort of situation where you are putting yourself in that certain situation, where you are by yourself and you're carrying out a big feat like that, does, is there any sort of moment where, because you're self-reliant on yourself in that situation, is it like sort of, how, how does that feel when you know you're self-reliant on
0: yourself? well again i think it it, it's it's a there's a lot of self-discovery i mean i i wrote an article about the atlantic part of it where i said i i felt in the early days like i'd accidentally signed up to do a a city and guilds in marine electronics because i there were certain bits of the boat i needed to work you know when you're when you're single-handed there are certain bits of kit that just have to work it's you know physical stuff like getting out of the um getting out of the marina, I needed this this sort of push-pull thing to, to handle the tiller, yeah. and when I turned it on, it was going the opposite direction it was meant to be going, <laughs> and um, I had to solve that problem. In electronics terms, when things are calm and everything like that, it was, it was just, you know, somebody, somebody reversed um, connections where they shouldn't have done, um, and it was as simple as that, but when you're kind of sweat dripping off you, and you think, I'm not, in theory, going to see a human being for a month, and, and all that sort of stuff, and you're trying to do stuff that you never thought was going to be part of it... <laughs> Is it, another way of putting it is on land. I probably would have, you know, phoned someone up and said, you know, yeah. sort it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the ear of the sea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but there, the, the reliance is exactly as you say. You've got to kind of, you know, there is no one else sort it for you. Yeah. yeah. When when you are isolated in such a in such a weir,
2: like when you see like disconnected from people, did you feel um, different when you returned? Was that? Like when did you feel like um, like a disconnect when you'd like talking to people because your mind's been so focused on like tasks, like um, goals, achievements, and when you come back in the reality, you sort of see how your mind like has to switch back into you know, like a different character sort of. How does that feel?
0: Yeah, there was there was a sort of comedy couple of days because shortly after becoming a father, I went on uh, an expedition and I was away for I think it was twelve days uh and my wife and i had a had a young baby and i don't think i'd fully adjusted to to you know fatherhood and, and and my wife was you know fairly and rightly trying to point that out to me by physically as i saw her after having been away for 12 days she didn't say a word she she just handed our, our older boy ben to me that and that was you know that was kind of like i don't want to hear about your expedition i want you to look after our child <laughs> and, and at the end of the atlantic i'd had that in my mind all the way across that there was you know undeniably a selfish um you know element to it and oh. and and so i i sort of i in my mind the expedition didn't end until my wife said you know all right go to sleep you idiot you <laughs> know so i'd 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 had 26 days of sleep deprivation and so another 2 days because i was mentally prepared for it wasn't an issue and so what i what i did was i just i sort of we were kind of like in a weird way teasing each other in a fun way i just i just got really stuck in with the kids for two days until my (laughs) wife went all right
1: (laughs) (laughs) something i want to ask you as well is when when you actually navigated and you were on the sea did you did you self-navigate using like natural means or did you Actually, use sort of
0: modern day technology. I did both. Um, oh, yeah. In in aviation terms, it's illegal to do it without using the kit oh, really? you have. And th- there is, yeah, the law is quite interesting. So, if you um, in an aircraft for other people's safety as well as your own, there's kit you have to use. Um, but but it fitted in quite well with with my philosophy now, which is I'm not I'm not a luddite or anti technology. I I see an amazing sort of role for it. But it's it, it's more a case of we should never let that displace what we experience and, yeah. and sense so so for me you know i've got photos of the cockpit of the aircraft and it is just you know everybody's seen that sort of image you're just con- confronted with information dials and screens and things and um but that didn't stop me looking above the cockpit and noticing the that the the bright white glare off the uh off the ice and snow and thinking i'm looking east it's may you know that's you know just the direction the light was coming from was something i noticed because i understood where the sun should be at that time of year and none of the technology could take that away similarly and at at sea you know i'd i'd be giving for safety reasons i would give position reports in latitude and longitude off a gps that i turn on you know once every 24 hours but my experience was you know it, it sounds cliche but there was a lot of lying on the deck and you know looking at the stars and going oh wow i can see stars i can't see from home and and Finding finding direction using the stars is unbelievably simple once you've once you've had a little bit of practice. So something, sorry, a bit of a tangent here, but there's no tangents. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Something that that was a really important moment for me, and I try and pass on to other people through through the the writing and talks is um, the moment when you appreciate that nature is giving you something. We might call it information, but the technology doesn't confirm nature is right nature confirms technology is right by which i mean the very first time somebody shows you how to find the north star there is a a healthy sort of cynicism and and a kind of feeling i can't be that simple that does that really work so you get out it might be a conventional compass it might be your smartphone it doesn't actually matter to to validate nature so the north star is north and we get out our smartphone and you go oh because the smartphone says that is north oh wow the north star works Uh There comes a moment quite quickly, quicker than people realise, when you start to believe the North Star and you realise that if the smartphone disagrees with the North Star, the smartphone's knackered, not the North Star. Because when the North Star's knackered, we've got bigger problems yeah. to worry about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, when, when, I like that, by the way. When you said before about how you don't think that technology should be sort of secular from nature, it shouldn't just be one way or the other, but you also mm. said as well that nature you shouldn't just forget about nature sort of say do you do you think that's an important part of who we are like that aspect of being able to tap in that into the old ways and things like that
0: yeah i i um it, it's interesting i think you you use the expression there should do something so there there are two two sort of feelings i get from that question one is uh i see it as a as what economists would call opportunity cost as in every time we look at a, a screen or something like that we are making a choice to not look at other stuff yeah. so i'm choosing to listen to everything you say but it doesn't stop me hearing the the bird calls in the background there you know if if you know we had a screen on there as well it might be that i can you know engage in our conversation get a little bit distracted by the screen and lose the bird we have limited you know i sometimes think of it like a currency we have one life we have a limited amount of time our attention is a currency what we choose to focus it on is is but but the second part of your question is you know included the word should and that's something i feel quite passionate about in the sense that i'm don't think people's behavior will ever be changed by us feeling we should do anything Mm -hmm. so my work is all about showing people things that 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 give you you know early on you can think of think of them as tricks oh here's here's a trick for finding water you know using using an animal here's here's a trick for finding north using a tree um but but actually, I try and, and move on from that till to, to get people to the point where they realise that actually, the, the the information coming from nature is, is so rich and so fun that it's not a feeling I should do this. It's that if I do anything else, I'm wasting my time. it's yeah, it's, like it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, and so so my work is is trying to be so um, you know useful, helpful, fun. Fun is really important, particularly early on. If you don't find stuff fun you know somebody you know you can be told a hundred times you know you should go out there and connect with nature and it has absolutely no no effect whatsoever whereas if somebody says stinging nettles indicate phosphate rich soil that means there are human beings nearby you can find a town or a village using stinging nettles you haven't at any point used the words should there but people will go i might just i'll just have a look for that
1: yeah, like yeah, that's that. pretty cool. Actually. What was actually the first um, on the topic of navigation as well? What was do you what was the first means of navigation? Do you are you familiar with that?
0: Well, I mean, um, we've uh, as a as species, we've been navigating, you know, deep into prehistory. So we have no written records of the the, the exact earliest ways it happens, but we can make educated guesses. Um, by ten thousand years ago, most of the large land masses, you know, were populated by human beings, and there's quite a lot of evidence of sea journeys having been made as well. Um, and just from my personal experience of having used Nature to find my way, it, it doesn't surprise me. It's, it's surprising if we're mm. if we're very much locked into a modern mindset. It's like, wow, would you really set off on a you know several hundred mile journey with nothing? Mm. It, it's as I say, the stuff works, and it um yeah. it, it's um it, it it really isn't that complex. Yeah, it's, it makes you wa- sorry, Dan. Oh, right. It makes you wonder, um,
2: like. Maybe our technology has changed, but the human spirit of adventure and travel and navigation has always been there in the mind, and that's that's something which has always been there, and so there's always going to be man 's quest to do something, whether with or without technology, so the technology aspect of it basically means is i I personally thought like the technology that they would use would just be stars, wind um really using the natural elements as much as they can, and I think fundamentally. We've just altered that into a technology based, and we're using the exact same methods, really. So basically, we are very similar to our Greek and Roman ancestors who traveled the world very similar.
0: Yes, I mean, if we, there, there are different stages. So I, I like to see it in terms of three, three sort of eras um, no technology, no tech, literally nothing, not even a lump of wood. Then low tech, which goes all the way up to the compass. And then high tech, which is when we've got. Electronics of some form. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're, you know, deep into the high tech era, but I think history will suggest still, still at the at the early stages. We're we're into it, but but who knows what what the future holds. But there's a there's quite a big difference between low tech and no tech. By which I mean there's quite a big difference between something like a, a kamal, which is a very simple instrument. Um, it's it's basically you hold a, a a knot at one end of a piece of string, and then and then you hold out a, a lump of wood. And that forms a triangle. You've got the base of the triangle and the height of the triangle. And that gives you an angle. And if you keep certain stars at the same angle above the horizon, you are at the same latitude. You're, you're at the same you know, position in terms of north or south. Um, and you know, we, we could fashion a Kamal out of the stuff we see on the ground here in under a minute. Mm. Um, but it is a shift from doing that to just sensing what's around you. So you, you're, you're, your focus has shifted ever so slightly from the star to the piece of kit uh and at that at that point in history um you know kamal's we will never know when the first one was fashioned, but it was you know thousands of years ago we don't know exactly how many um they were still i'm sure aware and we can see it thread through all the stories but but the, you know the kamal is, is has become the smartphone yeah. and the smartphone has become so alluring Nobody was likely to spend sort of quarter of an hour fascinated by staring at a kamal, yeah. except for the practical purposes. Whereas the technology now is so alluring that we are having to give thought to should we be looking at it for that long.
1: Yeah, did, mm. was, did the, Poly, the Polynesians did they use um, sort of did they use the environment to to sort of uh, navigate, or did they use did they have tools?
0: Yeah, they they used used both. I mean, some yeah. of their best technology were the, um, uh, the the vessels themselves, the outrigger canoes, and things like that. Um, but they they were super tuned. One of the interesting things about the Polynesians is is that part of the world was sealed off from European te- technological developments. So people like the the Vikings and the Arabs, every time they made a uh, they invented something, they, there would then be conflict. Somebody would get captured, and all that technology flows across to a new civilization. Whereas right up to the 18th century there was there was um no technology transfer to the pacific so they were effectively having to invent every their way of doing things and so it's very specific culturally to their part of the world they still saw a lot of the same stars that that that, um, other parts of the world saw and and use those methods but their their interpretation of things like wave shapes um so i so I've, i've written about that how how my life was changed by i'd known for many years the shapes that you can see around an island in the Pacific that help you sense where it is even when you Mm. can't see it it's all basic physics a a wave hits an island reflects back uh, refracts bends around the island it creates five different patterns around that island and once you know them they're they're you know they're pretty straightforward to to um, understand but I suddenly saw the same things in a pond here so these these things are spread all over the world they are you know laws of nature if you like so the polynesians became expert in what they needed which was reading water um uh, as well as as well as the sky they had they had little bits of their their own technology uh there's a thing if i remember correctly called a i think it's called a kino kino something like that but basically where you put a um a pole uh off off the side of the the canoe and you put a little bit of um uh, leaf or rag or something on the end of it yeah. and you can line it up with a star and then what you have is both direction from the star and a relationship with wind direction oh, wow. Wow. so you, you can feel it on your face of course and lots of other other clues um, but the combination of the rhythm of the swell noticing what the waves are d- doing the the star and that relationship with wind meant that if anything changed they were they were all over it
1: so a lot of people don't realize how sophisticated actually they were like yeah. people like that yeah what what um in, through, through your research and things like that, what sort of ancient peoples actually mostly inform
0: your research? I am. Um, I'm a bit of a magpie in the sense that I go around um, uh, plucking at things, and I'm not. You know, there are a lot of you know fine academics who focus on you know certain historical periods or stuff like that. For me, it, it's very different. One minute, I'll get the information I need from uh, a science journal that was published last week, and the next minute, I'm, I'm trying to glean something from. From writing that's a couple of thousand years old, so I'm not. Um, it's more a case of what I'm focusing on, and the, and the lovely thing about natural navigation is that it 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 draws you know any of us who are interested in it into into all areas. Mm. It's um it, it's about it's about the stars, it's about the plants, it's about the animals, it's about the weather, it's it's about the rocks. Um, you know the the plants we're seeing in, in front of us here are de- determined by the chalk which influences the soil which in turn you know these these grasses here which which will determine the insects which will influence the birds which influence the sounds we're hearing um uh you know all of these things fit together so i don't um you know i don't think right this is my area of research i think for me to understand why that piece of bracken is that color i need to understand what the wind has been doing and for me to understand what the wind has been doing i need to understand the shape of the hill for me to understand the shape of the hill i need to know more about geology therefore that's where i go looking
1: i like that that's powerful when you um when you i know obviously i've when i've done a bit research about you it said i think you it was one of your books or it was a documentary or interview you did anyway but you're talking about how you studied some of the most remotest people uh, some of the remotest living peoples who are still using these natural means of navigation like yeah. what was the people that you visited? i um
0: i spent um uh, a lot of my research is, is very intensive because the sort of things i need i i can work out actually quite often in hours certainly in days yeah. um so so it's the, the challenge is getting getting to the place and getting access to the people and i i rely on others for help with that because it's a uh, yeah, you know, these 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 people aren't on on uh, on twitter yeah. so, so, so when I'm lucky enough and, and it doesn't happen that often and there's a there's something I need um I will go so for example, the Tuareg in uh Libyan Sahara in two thousand and nine I walked across hundred miles of the desert with them, and I was testing my own uh understanding and abilities oh. so for example i i had the gps there for for research purposes so i turn the gps on at the start of the day and then i'd walk with a tuareg and they they were leading it was you know i wasn't doing the navigating but i could test myself because at lunchtime so i did it in half day chunks to start with at lunchtime i would uh i'd say okay i could tell we were walking let's say north northwest for one hour and then we turned a bit around that dune and we were then walking you know southwest for a bit i i think we are here and then i use the gps to to see how i've and and the learning comes when you're wrong you know because you know these things you're never entirely right and never entirely wrong and when you're a bit wrong that that's where the learning comes but the much more interesting part came from trying to understand what they knew and if i'm really honest there was uh, some shocks there i i brushed up on my star knowledge before going there i mean i try and keep my star knowledge pretty high for, for for obvious reasons but if I'm going to need it in a practical sense or otherwise, I, I take it up to another level uh, temporarily. There's just too much to, to keep in your head all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went out there. I was slightly worried the Tuareg were going to think I was, I was, you know, an idiot. <laughs> you know, I thought we were going to be sitting there and, and I'd be like, oh, God, I don't know what that faint star there is called. And actually the opposite happened they had almost no understanding of the night sky which was which was a generational thing which was very sad and a bit scary because they they kept using this expression you know i don't know but my father knew I thought even in their culture it's been sort of culturally driven out and i i tried to i tried to sort of delve to to understand why that was and the closest i got to an answer was was the generator so these are semi-nomadic people now the very very few you know out and out nomads um much more common semi-nomadic um, for you know stationary for part of the year and when they are you know quite often it's 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 you know not even a traditional building it'll be a breeze block thing with a generator outside of it oh. and the the social side of it has gone from when I was with them we were sitting around campfires drinking green tea and the you know what they would have done quite traditionally but they were honest enough to say you know they spent months of the year you know with with you know um, electric lighting and and sat yeah. sat with no no view of the stars at all and so that was and if I'm really honest, I get I get approached about this quite a lot because I think there is there's a fear of loss within within our culture of of some of this this knowledge in these ways, and I think you know I think the cliff the cliff edge is 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 behind us in in certain places. Uh, I think there are still very very remote places um, uh, where you know there hasn't been much contact, parts of South American parts, um, uh, potentially of places like Papua New Guinea and things like that, but they are um they are in the minority most most i think you know indigenous do you, do you
1: people well? sorry, do, you, do you think that's a sad thing as well sorry do you you think
0: that's a sad thing as well it's 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 certainly sad um i think the, the, we can there there are happy situations so the, the pacific is is i think a fairly a f- more recently been happy you know there are lots of times in history where where we might be um you know unhappy with the way things happen in terms of contact between cultures but more recently i think there's been quite a happy collaboration where indigenous pacific people had these incredible skills but because they were so used to them and they were they were sort of um everywhere within their culture they didn't attach huge value to them because they'd look they'd look to the western place and say oh these people are using compasses you know in the 18th century and more recently electronics these skills don't really have you know they're they're not like these magic bits of kit um and then academics went there in the 1960s, 70s and 80s and, and to this day. And by showing a, a, an acute interest in their skills, it, it allowed the indigenous people to take a step back and go, wait a minute, these people are flying from, let's yeah, say, California, yeah. you know, where <laughs> you know, some of the most extraordinary technology in the world exists. And they're coming here and they are begging us. And quite often that was, that was the interesting thing because culturally these skills have value. You know, the navigator in many societies was below royalty, but on a par with perhaps a priest, because they had these skills which were vital to life and death, and and culturally w- were richer than than, than that. Um, so you wouldn't you wouldn't just hand them out. So yeah. a, an academic would come there and say, "Oh, please, you know, a hundred different versions of please." We really, and what's nice is we got to learn about what's going on there, and rather ironically, they didn't lose these skills because when the academics arrived, the numbers of people who had you know, the the full knowledge was 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 down to a handful, um, and if the interest hadn't been shown there, I think the knowledge would have died. So I think there there's there's a sort of happy symbiosis where um, we 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 preserved some of the knowledge, but we also showed an interest in it, which which allowed um, indigenous people to to value something that they perhaps had had stopped yeah, valuing. Yeah.
2: yeah, I was I was just thinking there's something very similar. I mean, um, when we when you are looking at tribes and you start to see them like. Adapt to a more of a westernized um, civilization, you do feel a bit uh, dis- disheartened because you yeah, see yeah. it like um, a ruining of a culture. But they're not going to be become civilized overnight by watching twelve hours of TV and binging on soaps and like eating snacks and TV. Just like we probably they're, didn't either, though. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're going to like attach um, the benefits. But keep their own culture and that's what we need to make them aware of yeah. I mean there is downsides to the westernized culture like I just said with um, comfort the yeah. comfort aspect of life but if you can match westernized technology with um, a culture that's ready to embrace it but still keep their local traditions then to be honest that is that will be a, a really thriving culture
1: I mean I yeah. think even us as a human race we don't even know what where that, where that line was between us I mean because obviously you can see that from our perspective, looking at them. But from our lines, I mean, there's an analogy of a guy who talks about. Um, he he, talk, he has a speech uh, in a sort of a presentation about basically how you know the dog, the chihuahua how the chihuahua used to be a, like a wolf. So like all oh, do- yes. dogs now are basically wolves in the past. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then he, he goes through this full speech where he says that this dog's from this wolf, this dog's from this wolf. And Then he says, now imagine what wolf you used to be. Yes. And that's like the fine line that we don't even know ourselves. I mean, we can talk about these cultures and see them now and thinking, oh, I don't want these to change, but we are we are already that change. What yes. were we already before that? Yes, that's yeah. That's
0: interesting thing. And I, I agree, and I think there's there's... Cultural evolution and, and and that moves so fast it's hard to hard to see from from within. We tend to only get perspective on it by looking back decades and, and centuries. Um, I think there's a lot of confusion about biological evolution at the moment. I mean the extraordinary things you know changing our views yeah, every few years, like epigenetics and things like that. But there's a there's a I I think a broad sort of popular misunderstanding that just because um, we we don't need something that that we will lose it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Actually. You know, in, in conventional, my understanding, conventional evolution is unless it influences your your ability to procreate, it, it doesn't actually, you know, change anything. So I think biologically it's interesting because we are biologically uh, pretty much identical to 10,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. And yet culturally things have changed so much. So I find that interesting in a, in a work culture. So most people, I think, are doing jobs that are in no way can you find the connection between that and 10,000 years ago, and yet we're doing it with the same brains and bodies that we had 10,000 years ago, I mean 10,000 years ago you know, the sort of end of the um, of, of, well the 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 change from hunter-gathering to, to farming um, you know, the, the skills you needed then were, were just as high we needed, you know, just as much sort of brain power to, 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 to live and survive but they were much simpler so if you could, if you could hunt, if you could, you know, protect yourself or your 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 group, um, if you could forage, if you could keep warm, you know, the list you could probably fit it on one side of uh, of a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas in ten thousand years, which in historical terms is nothing, we suddenly, if you had to write down what everybody's being expected to do in terms of different roles, it's just happened so fast. There are, you know, perhaps a million different roles, and you know, if my my personal feeling is, if you can't trace a line. From what what you're doing now, back to ten thousand years ago, there's a danger of frustration and dissatisfaction.
1: Mm. Do you think it's within our needs as well, where we actually, as a society, we're sort of struggling? Because, like you said, there you have a in the past you could fill a one tiny bit of paper, but now you could probably fill a, a mansion of books yeah. of how many needs we have. Do you think that could be the problem as well in society? Too many needs.
0: Yes, I mean it's that that is a it's a big and interesting question, and um I think. I can't give a full answer to it because I don't have a full answer. But my 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 feelings in that area are, in a sense, practical. I think the answer to that question is quite hard to give in Mm. in words alone and as a as a spoken philosophy. But as a practical one, if you take, and we're all we're all vulnerable to this this sort of feeling where you feel fidgety, dissatisfied. You know, you're kind of like, what am I doing? That type of feeling. You get it a lot less if you spent the whole day outdoors. One, you know, one yeah, million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, yeah. if even if it's as simple as walking. But if you, or you do something very practical like some woodwork. You know, if you do some woodwork and you know, you know, a little bit of sweat forms on your forehead and you, you know, you struggle or something, you make something and you see that thing, that feeling, that fidgetiness and that dissatisfaction yeah. goes, and, and that for me, I think is what has kept the the passion for the navigation going is because when I'm doing it, I feel. Um, i feel that passion i feel that purpose and i i don't i don't question it i think each of us has has that it doesn't it isn't necessarily navigation it isn't necessarily woodwork yeah. but there is something fundamental that that when we're doing it we feel all of that doubt goes and that feeling of it's a simple nice feeling of like you know this it's a it's a, it's a flow type feeling It yeah. becomes um it becomes a
2: succession of of information whereas when you're doing something such as woodwork or just walking through the forest or even navigation it you start to break it down in like individualized tasks and you start to like you can witness the beauty unfolding in front of you like especially when you're just walking through a forest or woodwork or when you're seeing the the marvel of the creation in front of you but I was just thinking there in my head I mean in the in the early 1800s the first book on on a, on diet on the human diet was written and then eventually now you come across the information that we've got a day, it's one Google search where you have about 600,000 books written on, the, written on a human diet, which is something so complex for a, something which we just put in our mouth and it performs a bodily function. Whereas then all it was was food, you eat it. There was something so simplistic about it, in which, I, and I see the whole same thing about when you're in a wood, you see the simplicity, you see the beauty, you see everything broke down in its simplest form. There's no overload of information. It's yeah. just there, the present. Is, and that's it, beautiful.
0: It's interesting. You 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 raise food because I find myself coming back to food because I think food is <laughs> is um, it's the vanguard of 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 the philosophy in this area. By which I mean. Um, we, in, in a very short space of time, we went from an old way of thinking about food, which is the sole challenge of food is to not starve. You know, if we can get through the day without starving. And that was, to the best of my understanding, the human philosophy for tens, if not hundreds of thousands of years. And in the space of a couple of decades... We've gone in the West and and you know other other rich parts of the world. We've gone from the challenge of food is not dying from obesity. You know in, in a in a in a blink. And so what's happened with food is that some of these books, by no means all of them, but some of them are challenging that idea and saying, but wait a minute. We, you know, food is essential, but is it just about calories? No, there's something else going on there. It's about uh, community. It's about doing. It's about actually doing. You know, th- you know a. a a steak that you you cook yourself or you know a piece of meat you cut yourself and then cook does it's a different experience i won't go as far as saying it tastes different because that's not my area of expertise but it it does feel different and i think um i see navigation a lot of these other skills within that that context In, in natural navigation we are trying to get something back that we threw out very quickly, without realizing. So navigation was viewed as something that is purely practical, in the same way food was purely practical. Now we realize that if all we focus on is getting from A to B, we miss most of what's between. You know, the, the smartphone will get us to, um, you know, a cinema in a town we don't know in a very efficient way, mm. but we might not we might not notice the, um, the 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 shape of the clouds, which is helping us find our way there. Um, and I'm not saying I never argue that that is necessary. I'm coming more from the point of, if we only have one life, it, it's a shame to miss half of what's around us. Yeah, we, we can't really, see or sense it all, but food's the same. You know, if you, we've all had that experience as well, I'm sure, where you, you, you eat something that you know, you, is meant to be tasty, and you're distracted, and you get to the end of it, and you go, wait a minute, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you think that's that experience gone. Okay, I've wasted that one. I'm not going to waste the next one. And for me, shaping and journeying natural navigation is, you know, at its core, it's this idea that. I might never walk this path again and I don't want to miss the great stuff. Yeah, I love that. Wow. What do you think would happen if we sort of sort of hyper,
1: hi, I kind of say with hypothetically thinking sort of if we took away sort of all our one day trappings like everything that holds us down all the technology and stuff. Do you think that we would st- would we would we go back to the same way that our ancestors sort of navigated and things like that?
0: Yes, but there'd be there'd be some some big bumps along the way, I'm sure yeah. it, uh-huh. it it would, but then we'd in a similar way to the way I was talking about having to, you know, get it get amongst marine electronics on a boat, when I didn't have any choice, it starts as it did with me with a feeling of, this is some this is for somebody else, yeah. and then you suddenly realise there isn't a somebody else, and that's that introduces an element of fear, and then we try and overcome the fear, and then we get the satisfaction and possibly a bit of joy. Um, I don't know, maybe you guys have an example of something sort of very basic like that where you think initially, you know, I mean, I. I, you know all all these fundamental skills you know cooking um you know making you know making comes an awful lot of things i think the first time whether whether it's as a 10 year old at, at school or or you know trying it for the first time age 80 when you when you make something out of clay huh. and you go wow it actually works yeah you know it used to be in days gone by you see everyone's for some reason you know made ashtrays or whatever you know <laughs> not, not so much now but but you know it, it actually worked and there's it sort of triggers something something between our ears which is it's a reward thing a very healthy sort of like you know joy isn't isn't you know it may be too strong a word but there is a bit of that
1: yeah do you think we actually have this is a question I actually want to ask you in terms of navigation and I've always wondered it because when I go see if I go in the woods and you probably relate with this I I mean not now because I'm focused on a conversation but if I'm in immersed in the woods by myself and I go for a walk or I'm sitting beside a tree whatever it is I seem to get this sense of where me the way I can describe it, I mean, language can't describe it properly, but it's sort of the only way I can think of is that my senses become a lot more heightened. And from that, I was actually thinking, do you think that we all have this inherent ability with inside ourselves or some sort of subconscious mechanism or whatever it is to that like it that allows us to navigate the natural, natural world, if that makes sense?
0: Yes, I mean, it, it starts with very um, sort of, simple building blocks of things like landmarks so let's say for example you're going to walk a dog and you you park your car in a place you've never been to before your brain has evolved and your lifestyle has evolved um to to basically pay attention to the car and the car park that becomes a landmark so in historical terms that would have been the village you know is by the river Um, at the foot of a certain hill and you'd recognize the shape of the hill so all we've done is change that type of viewing of a landscape to okay i know that this car park is is called you know big car park or whatever Mm -hmm. uh, and i'm on this path so if i stay on this path and go in the opposite direction that i've been going i will get back to it much more interesting things happen when we choose to leave the path because then our reading of landmarks and everything else has to go up one two three levels very very quickly Mm. so the path is condensed wisdom. It's basically the people before us, even in a city, you know, a pavement is exactly the same principle. It's the people before us effectively saying to us, this is a safe way to get from this point to this point. Path here, like the path out there somewhere is is exactly the same thing. When we leave the path, instead of saying we're on the path and we, we reverse directions, we'll get back to the car park, we're having to say, okay, the path is behind me, but if I take a few twists and turns, it's no longer gonna be behind me. So wait a minute, the sun's on my face. Okay, so if I go in the opposite direction of the sun, I hit the path. Then we notice we're going slightly uphill. Okay, so if I go slightly downhill, I'll find the path. Now, if we make the path much bigger, uh, it might be a river that, that runs for 100 miles. Mm. And we start putting those pieces together. Instead of it being kind of signs, signs are part of this, modern signs. You know, we, we're a bit lost in a town and we suddenly see a sign saying, you know... Um, town centre oh yeah i want to go to the town centre that's nice and straightforward nature's the same it just doesn't have the words on it so yeah so so, (laughs) um yeah i mean every every single plant here is is telling us something about about that map so once you put the map and the direction together in a space of you know hours the whole the whole sort of um view changes this is a bit off topic i know obviously
1: people on the camera well on the camera can't see but is there any when you're looking out there now at all the trees out there? Is there any sort of tree to you that initially quickly stands out to you more than others, and trying to maybe a tree that's trying to tell you something more than others?
0: Um, or, or yes, it starts with an initial feel, which is that we've got variety here, um, which instantly speaks to me of clearing. So, um, if we if we walked a few hundred metres that way, we'd go into um, beach woodland which is mature and the beech trees through their shading have have effectively bullied everything else out from the understory whereas here we've got we've got a variety of height we've got holly there we've got hazel there uh, we've got a field maple um, uh, we've got bracken below it we've got brambles there um, uh, and there's a my favorite the spindle Now, that variety could not have happened unless somebody had come here and cleared it. So that's the very first feeling I get, Mm. is that this is a very, very different environment to what we're seeing over there. And then within that, the focus goes in a little bit. So I see the brambles in the foreground here. Brambles need relatively high levels of light. Uh, That's telling me that there is some path from the sky to that spot. Mm. Now, that put like that doesn't mean a huge amount but to a navigator that's starting to say well if light can reach there I've just got to start to think okay well if light can reach there we get most of our light from the south south is more likely to be out that way because those those trees there would be shelter I mean um casting a shadow there otherwise so I'm starting to get a feel for the type of landscape we're in and a very weak sense of direction from from the brambles there the the ash tree there uh, combined with with this this general mix is suggesting a bit of, a bit of moisture in the ground so it's starting to give me a feel that cool, um, yeah. yeah how it, you can read all that it from it makes that you idea. think
2: like how like in my aspect here it makes me think like how uneducated I am when how civilized I am yeah. in civilized mindset when it comes to stuff like nature because all I see is uh, woodland
0: no, no, <laughs> no absolutely and that's you're you're in good company there but it's not it, it's not about being um, you know uneducated it's about the choices of of where your learning has been so even Mm. somebody who's maybe not you know got a you know somebody who's not spent the whole time in an academic system so they're not educated in the sense they haven't got phds and stuff like that is hugely educated because we go through life educating ourselves it's what our brain has to do so even if you sit in a room you know with not a lot of you know stimulus There is an education of sorts going on because you're learning what it feels like to be bored and you start to learn what's in that room incredibly well. I mean, that's an extreme example. But people who've been in in city centres their whole life are not in any way um, less educated than people who've been in the wild. They're just educated about very different things. Mm -hmm. I mean, to give you an anecdote, there were some studies done. It was hugely important to understand in in recent conflicts... um, where, uh, in Afghanistan, and Iraq, you know, where uh, IEDs, improvised explosive devices, were. And so I believe the American military did some studies, and they noticed that certain, um, you know, uh, when soldiers arrived, when people had been there a couple of years, they, they knew the ropes, they knew what to look for. But when people had only been there a few weeks, certain soldiers were spotting these things and other ones weren't. And they were trying to understand, you know, who were these soldiers who were able to spot these things? And so they did the research, and they found out that there were two main groups that tended to excel at this. One of them was the hunting, shooting, fishing crowd who, you know, very similar to the sort of things we've been talking about, you know, are used to looking at landscapes and spotting things. The other group were actually from gangs in inner cities. Because if you think about it, you know, in 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 a gang environment, you know, you spot one person out of place, you know, your life could be at risk. So it's exactly the same philosophy. And those two groups are, from my perspective, highly educated and entirely different things. So... All, all I've done I mean there's a price for for what I've done as in I'm not you know when you were telling me about your 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 camera and various other kit yeah. and the stuff you can do it and how you hacked it with some software I was like thinking wow you know I'm like thinking there's, there's absolutely no way I'd even begin yeah. to know how to do that sort of stuff so you know we do only have one life it's just really a choice and, and it's not a it's not I'm not I'm not biased enough to believe that it's better or worse I, i'm i'm really i hope open-minded and i think life is fascinating so so long as we are curious and you know teach ourselves certain things in my case it's this sort of stuff but um then yeah it it becomes more fun and interesting
1: when you were speaking before as well about and you were describing all the different trees and things like that is it also true as well that the ecology of the like sort of the animals itself will sort of adapt to the environment of the trees as well is that true is that true
0: yes yeah the 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 animals are are learning so there are there are lots of learned behaviors uh the, the one i see most commonly um i mean it, it's a weird thought but we are being surveyed by at a guess a dozen birds probably at the moment um they're trying to work wow. out are we a threat this is their environment the mm. fact we haven't moved for quite a long time uh means they'll be starting to get a little bit closer if we came to this spot what type of birds Uh, the
2: The red breast over there (laughs) yeah i was was
0: a bit slow onto that you see there's a price for staring at this nature too long yeah (laughs) um uh, yeah and and so they're they're learning about us and if we came to the same spot every day and did exactly this they would start to see us as harmless um I mean there are certain um instinctive behaviors that, that we can't override um but but uh, some of my um research and writing most recently has been about noting those simple patterns oh, wow. so i mean we're, we're probably making a bit too much noise and a little bit too unusual for the birds to be particularly close to us i mean they they made did you notice how they're making a lot more noise about sort of sort of quarter of an hour ago yeah, and, and, exactly. and less than an hour. Definitely, so,
1: you've realised
2: that. Yeah, before. yeah.
0: So they, they were, it was partly the time of day. So the closer you get to dawn, the noisier they they are. But it's also because initially they were saying to each other, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah who they're who not is? sure about this at all. <laughs> well, you know, whereas now they are slightly, slightly more used to it. Probably so, bored of us now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Who are these, yeah, yeah. Who are these yeah. three idiots in the woods? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's normally <laughs> just one idiot and he did, doesn't have a <laughs> microphone.
1: We had a funny example as well where we did a podcast once where we recorded a podcast in the woods and there was these guys riding down on bicycles, like downhill mountain biking through the woods, and then what? all your head was, look at them, they've got a laptop in the uh, in the woods. What the hell? That's
0: it. The um, that I mean, instantly, what I'm thinking when you when you say that is, is our ability to spot anomalies. You yeah. know, So, um, we've got uh you know thousands and thousands of uh, of leaves out there uh, but the thing that caught my eye when when you are setting up instantly was just that, that little bit of pink on the spindle tree there you know because that's our brain is so good at picking out differences and that comes from evolution mm. you know if you if a, a shape a color uh, look out of place or there's any motion so there'll be a thousand leaves we haven't set eyes on there but if a rabbit or anything else hopped through the undergrowth there we'd see it instantly because that's what our brain is saying that that's what you need to spot
1: Mm. fascinating and how do you actually see um, natural navigation playing out in the future like in the future world because we know that technology is swooping along now how do you see it playing out in the future
0: I, um, I see it as, as sitting alongside as um, totally unnecessary for the vast majority of people in the vast majority of situations but necessary for everybody who wants to have a, a really rich experience on their time outdoors and their journeys and I, I put it, I put it under the envelope of culture so i quite often get approached people saying people need to know what you're doing because what if your smartphone batteries die what if you're this what if you're that and i don't deny there's 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 you know a value to that argument but i don't think the richness of the subject are understood that way My, my view is it's like culture you know could we survive without natural navigation today all three of us yes no problem most people absolutely yes but you could also survive without books without theater without tv without all of those things so so my view is kind of it is it is a cultural activity now as much as a practical one, and and I don't I accept that it has a role within a survival situation, but since survival situations are irrelevant to the vast majority of, of human beings within our culture, um, I don't want to see it pinned in that category. I don't see myself as a survivalist. You know, I, I you know I leave that, leave that to others. For me, it's about using this as a way of you know, culturally understanding our environment in the way that somebody who's read, you know, all of all of you know, who's spent twenty years fascinated by French literature, they will they will glean bits of fascination in a sentence that might pass the three of us by.
1: Yeah.
0: Natural navigation for me is about trying to find that fascination in just a shift of colour, you know, just noticing that little feather on the top of a bit of grass there and thinking, well, it's not coincidence that it, it's pointing from the because that's that's where the, the breeze has blown yeah. it onto that
1: beautiful that i think we'll good place to wrap it up yeah great thank way. you so much honestly. Oh, thanks, thanks, thanks very much Gr- for coming great podcast thank you so much yes cool that loved sitting outside in the woods and having a conversation there with tristan such a refreshing podcast and i love how he views the natural world and i thought it was so cool how towards the end of this podcast how he was describing sort of his lens of reality and how he reads the language of the trees and the rest of nature Such a beautiful art form and the the ability to read and see the trees, the forest, and the natural world on that sort of level. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed that one and thank you so much for checking this podcast out. Feel free to support the podcast through our Patreon page and our one-off donation option. And wherever you are out there in the world, whether you're walking, driving to work, or whatever you're doing hope you're having a great day and it's crazy how these conversations are bouncing all over the place basically they're going through the air then they're vibrating a few atoms around in your ears and brain then the end your consciousness it's and then affect your life it's absolutely crazy so anyway peace and love